Hi, and welcome to Hear Now the News. I'm Jerry Barnash. On this edition of the podcast, we're taking a film class of sorts. I'll be discussing one of the biggest disasters in movie history, 1990s, The Bonfire of the Vanities. It's a Seinfeld feel, a podcast within a podcast, as I chat with TCM host Ben Mankiewicz and Julie Solomon, who wrote the book The Devil's Candy, about the making of the film. Her book is the basis for the second season of TCM's podcast, The Plot Thickens, with Ben and Julie on the multi-part series. We'll talk about the movie failing to translate, as well as the extremely popular Tom Wolfe novel, what factors led to the movie's historical downfall, some of the biggest names in the business, Tom Hanks, Bruce Willis, Melanie Griffith, and Morgan Freeman, with Brian De Palma directing What Could Go Wrong? Well, plenty, as you're about to find out. I never got to watch the whole thing, and, and I, it was hard as I was watching it, actually, to sit through it. I'm assuming both of you have watched it. And what it, what is your, first of all, what's your opinion of the movie? I mean, I saw it got a 16 on Rotten Tomatoes. Is that justified? You want me to go first? Do you want to go first? You can go first. Um, I think it's justified. And I, I don't say that with any glee or anything. And I'm, I admire all the people involved in it. I, I, you know, I don't know Brian, but I, I want to. I like him very much. I think he comes across great in the book and the podcast. You know, he's a really interesting guy. You know, and I, I mean, I've done a lot of things that I wish that are bad. <laughs> it just happens. It just, and it's not his fault either. It's a, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to make a movie. And, 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 and I have a, I was explaining earlier in, in, a, in a previous conversation uh, here this morning with Julie that like movies that have something important to say about race and class and then bungle it because they're afraid. Um, I just have no use for it. so that I, I, I can't I, I want to be more forgiving about the movie. And I think Julie is. And I, I think Julie, that's probably the that's the better place to be. <laughs> um, but this movie, it just bothers me. It does. I don't like it. And I uh, and and partly because the you know, the book and I don't care if they stay true to the book. I, I got none of that. It's a different piece of art. But obviously they were still trying to deliver on the same things the book did, whether how they, they can change the structure, how they get there. And, it, and, and the book is uh, unafraid and the movie just feels uh, like uh, uh, you can read the fear of, uh, of what people will say about it. You know, we got to be careful. We can't offend this. I mean, if you, if you're worried about who you're going to offend, you're making the wrong, you're making the wrong story if you're making that story. So I, I don't like it. I, I think, um, but you know, and, and I think that was the, that was the consensus at the time. And I don't think it's aged, but that's fine. Like they've gone, you know, <laughs> it doesn't matter. They all, everybody involved, literally everyone involved has so many good things they've made. I'd never in my life hope to make as many good things as those people have made. This isn't one of them. That's my thought for whatever that's worth. And I suspect not much. And Julie. So, well, I, I will say what I always say about Bonfire of the Vanities, because it's the truth. It's really hard for me to look at it as a movie. You know, for me, it's a photo album of an experience that I had. And, you know, I was, for me, the Bonfire of the Vanities is about the making of the Bonfire of the Vanities. And to look at the final product, I mean, if I were having to write a critique of it, it'd be very easy to dissect it and tear it apart. And it would be probably hard to write a rave review of it, mm. but I, it's hard for me to look at that way. And having said that, it helps you understand how movies that don't work get made, even with really great people. Mm. Because the thing with Momfire is if you look at it piece by piece, separated, like when you looked at the dailies, each daily looked 
that looked pretty good. You know, it looked great, some of them. And one of the things that really struck me going back into this material were how many people who worked on the film, who had worked on films that had failed miserably in the past, didn't see that coming with this film. Because each individual scene looked good. It's just when you put them all together, it's a movie that doesn't probably make much sense. You know, thanks to Julie, that, you know, that is the way to look at it. And that's the way I look at it, too. I mean, I was, I was answering your question a little too honestly, because the way to look at it is when I look at it, I think this is it's a you're making a huge mistake to see Bonfire of the Vanities without reading the devil's candy or listening to this <laughs> podcast. Right. I mean, because that's what makes it interesting. Right. And that's why I could watch it again and again. And I'm sure I'll end up seeing this movie three more times in my life. Right. Because now I look at it and I'm like, I can't believe this is what they, I, cause I know what went into it. And I know all this, the, how, as Julie said, all these well-meaning people whose decisions at the time either were solid decisions or certainly could be justified. And sometimes they had to scramble to justify them. But in general, they were, uh, you know, they were of sound mind and body when they signed, when they, when they, it was a, it was a, it was a correctly executed will. It's just a horrible will in the end, right? It just, so uh, I, I think it's a, it is a testament to how hard it is uh, when really good, smart people uh, come together uh, to, to how, how easily it can go wrong uh, when you're making a piece of art. Uh, together something when you you think is going to be great or at least good and entertaining and uh, you know uh, and the book is a blueprint for for what can uh, go wrong and that's well, that, and that's I, what makes the whole thing fun right and i also think the the movie ultimately shows what a slippery slope it is once you make a couple of yeah. big decisions that are wrong then everything else just goes with it you know there's that moment of casting uh, certainly in the book, probably that was the number one thing that threw the tone of the movie off. But once, you, you know, you could see how everybody started. I mean, haven't we all done that where you say, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And then even if you know it's maybe not a good idea, but then you become invested in it because you've decided that's what you're going to do. So yeah. but but as I said, when I watch the movie, like when I look at the opening steady cam shot, which I think. Ben doesn't like at all. <laughs> but when I look at it, I have this incredible memory of like the whole experience of watching it be filmed. So I'm completely not objective when it comes to watching that movie. So that's not like the steady cam with the Culpa, let's say it, uh, a Goodfellas uh, scene, right? It's not not quite the same. No, but it's the same steady cam operator. And yeah. when you talk, and huh. he talks about it in episode four. It's one of my favorite things. I mean, he loved that shot, the steady cam operator, because it was so hard to do. Right. It's the mood and the feel. And because the right, the the, the shot is probably just as good, right? But you weren't, you know, afraid of these characters or drawn to them in the way you are in Goodfellas, where you just you're where there's this level of potential, you you feel like the movie could explode at any moment in any direction, right? And you know, so that's the they're both great shots. I'm sure I don't, you know, uh, so, but yeah, I, I, uh, I, I feel like a, I, I hate, I mean, <laughs> I don't have any other choice, but to answer honestly, but I, what I say about it shouldn't matter. But of course I'm, I, I don't, I, I suspect if you ever talk to the principals involved, they're not going to say, Oh my God, everybody's so wrong about Tom Hanks is not going <laughs> to come and go. Bonfire's my second favorite movie. Any other movies I've ever done. Like he's not, 
he's not going to say that. So, but uh, it is fun to watch. And, uh, and if you know the story and you get the story from this podcast, uh, uh, it makes it really, 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 really interesting and, and certainly worth watching. And again, uh, Julie, you wrote the book, The Devil's Candy, which is now in effect turned into the podcast, The Plot Dickens, The Devil's Candy, which is all the behind the scenes. You had access through Brian De Palma. Was the book that you were you planning to do a book or was this going to be an article that it just became because you saw where this was going that you had to do a book? No, no, it was going to be a book. I had gotten to know De Palma. I was writing about movies. I was a film critic at the time at the Wall Street Journal and I'd gotten to know De Palma. And I had told him I was wanting to do a book similar to Lillian Ross's book, Picture, which he had written about John Huston making The Red Badge of Courage. And quite honestly, I thought whatever movie I'd pick would be like that. You know, there'd be all this, all this Sturm and Drang and all this drama. And then in the end, the movie would open and it wouldn't be much one way or the other. And that was sort of how I envisioned the ending of this story as well. I didn't think this was going to be a huge hit and I didn't think it was going to be a huge failure. But De Palma, uh, I had told him about it when he decided to do Bonfire. He called me up and said, you know, I'm doing Bonfire of the Vanities and I know you're thinking about doing a book. Why not this? So I said, oh, kind of like the podcast. I said, oh, okay, that sounds good. And it turned out to be this incredible experience. Did you know uh, when you were uh, on set for those weeks, and I I guess it was weeks or months, did you know where this was going to be headed, that it was a a flop? Not for an instant. That's Mm. what's so remarkable, is that up until the previews happened, there was this feeling like, oh, this is going to be great. And to be honest with you, I was so focused on just the behind the scenes drama, which was so incredible that it didn't matter to me. That was my, that was the, that was my least interest was what, how the movie would turn out. (laughs) I just was interested in what it took to make it. The fact that it turned out to be so universally detested by people left me in this very, really uncomfortable position that Basically, one of the reviews even said it, De Palma's misfortune is Solomon's gain. That's a rough (laughs) thing to read when somebody's been so nice to you and given you this opportunity. And then this thing that's so painful to him gave my, I think a lot of more people were interested in my book because Monfire was considered to be a flop. It was a flop. And what I mean, obviously, we probably don't have enough time to go over what went wrong, but uh, short as we can or, or, you know, as many details as we can in the limited time, what went wrong? I mean, because obviously on paper, it seems to work out with the big stars of the day, a big director. Obviously, the book was huge at the time. So all of the studios were probably that was sought after material. What went wrong? Well, I think what went wrong was. There were many things that went wrong, but I think the essential thing was, even though many studios were interested in it, none of them bought it, except Peter Goober for Warner Brothers. And I think what the people who didn't buy it saw was how difficult it would be to turn this complex book with multi-layers of story into a movie. It, there's, it doesn't, you know, if you just take out the very straight storyline, which is what happens in the movie, it doesn't make any sense without all those layers. And so I think 
probably the whole idea of making it into a movie instead of a 10-part series was the first mistake. And then the second mistake was a lack of heart that basically the studio bought this book that was, you know, exactly because it shed the light on racism and on class struggle and all of this stuff, and then immediately panicked and thought, how can we make all these people likable? And so they cast Tom Hanks as a, who's supposed to be this kind of repulsive guy who Tom Hanks, who Tom Wolf, the writer called the master of the universe, but he didn't mean it as a compliment. He meant it. That's how Tom, you know, how Sherman McCoy thought of himself. And then all these decisions were made about casting, putting Bruce Willis in as this, you know, cynical British drunken guy and then turning him likable and then making Morgan Freeman, the Jewish judge. I mean, I just think everything that gave the book its heart and, and zest was stripped out of it to make it likable, but then it wasn't likable. And so that's, that, that was the, the major thing. So I think the studio lost heart De Palma, you know, everybody got caught and then every, so once they changed the vision of what it was and once they had these people as the actors, then you're in this alternate universe and everybody kind of forgets that that universe wasn't where they were supposed to be living. I think Julie's, those two points Julie made can, can in a sense be uh, combined because the, the studios that passed on it, they saw it, right? They saw what that problem was going to be. They saw these characters are all going to be unlikable. And do we want to spend all this money on a movie with all these unlikable characters? Can that work? Maybe it can. And it certainly could. And we now know that it could certainly work on television. Right. And no question that that would work, that if HBO Max produced Bonfire of the Vanities now, and I guess probably updated it to make it modern, um, you know, it can be done. Right. And you could have those characters be unlikable and you'd mix in supporting players. Um, but the. And even though it was a novel, the thing, the reason why the novel resonated is the novel had this uh, sort of uh, uh, authenticity uh, coming out of each page, right? It felt real. Like you knew these people, they were stand-ins for people. It certainly created this mood and feel that existed in New York. Um, and the movie, by virtue of those changes, which other studios clearly recognized why they passed on a wildly successful novel, that it just went away, right? Because they, because they were, they got afraid of the very things that made the novel authentic. They changed because they didn't want to make people mad. That what will people say? How can we do this? And then, then why are you doing it? Then make one of the other billion stories that you could make. So it's just a mistake is an honest mistake. And in a sense, you admire the effort, like, no, let's do it. But then if you're going to be the people who are like, no, we're going to do it. Then you got to be the people who really do it. Right. I mean, I think that and that's the lesson. And I get missing that. But that's the lesson. If you're going to do something that is that is pure and controversial, then you can't do it and then try to make it not controversial. Do you, do you think we're talking a lot about the ill fated cast? Do you think that if this cast was different, that this would have made a difference or it, it was it was doomed regardless? You know, it probably was doomed regardless. But I, I think, you know, we haven't talked about the script it wasn't that good a script. And I think, but I don't know if it could have been a good script because part of it was it would have taken a screenwriter of real genius to figure out if you were going to condense this huge book into a two hour movie, then it would have to be something like the sweet smell of success. Just go for it, you know, and it would have to be 
it would have to be something else entirely. You couldn't, you couldn't match what the book was. And the reason they bought the book was because it gave such insight into this moment in time of, of a, it's a sociological study as much as anything else. Um, and so I think Ben's totally right. If you did that today, you know, like succession or something like that, you could do it with that kind of dark force with a bunch of very unlikable characters, you know, and the truth is, if you look at bonfire, it's just that they get swallowed up in the, it doesn't make sense the way it is now, but a lot of the supporting players have these little moments that actually would be good if they were in a different movie. Totally. Yeah. Um, casting would not have saved it because the decision to soften it was the problem. The, the casting, the casting feels like part of that decision right away. I mean, I, I don't actually know. And Julie would know better if like, if you cast Tom Hanks and then think you have to make Sherman likable, or you think, well, we're going to make Sherman a little more likable because we're going to cast Tom Hanks. Like, I, I don't know, but either way, if the, you know, Tom Hanks is, uh, I think Tom Hanks has proven there's, there's very little that he can't do. If yeah. you, if you want Tom Hanks to be unlikable, well, he's about to play Colonel Parker in the Elvis movie, right? Colonel Parker, I'm pretty sure is going to come across fairly unlikable in that movie. Um, he can do it. Like it's Tom Hanks. So, you know, he probably could have done it. I, I think he was probably too young to play Sherman. Uh, he just looked young. Uh, nothing he could do about that. Um, but I don't, I don't think casting the, 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 the mistake was the, was the feeling compelled to soften rather than the, the casting. The casting reflects the need to soften. Yeah. Was, I think I know the answer, but Tom Wolf, he was not involved in this, right? Now, Tom Wolf was very smart. You know, Tom Wolf had gotten very involved with the right stuff, um, which I thought was a really good movie, but it also did not do well at the box office. And but Tom Wolf had gotten very involved in the promotion of that movie. Um, he, you know, put a little bit of his and it, and then that didn't work out well and John Glenn didn't win the presidential nomination which they you know and all these things but he decided with Bonfire that he was going to take the money and run and so he basically didn't say yes you know he was very polite I met with him a couple of times for very long long meetings and um, he you know decided that he was going to just watch from afar but I think in the end, he was pretty unhappy with what happened. You know, I, I was just looking up because right stuff is a great thing to, to reference, you know, and the right stuff, I guess, like six or seven years earlier that it comes to the big screen. And, and Julie's totally right. The right stuff is a really good movie. And I don't know. I don't recall off the top of my head. It looks like this. So the DVD version or there's a shortened version. Um, but the right stuff when it hit theaters was three hours and 13 minutes long. So, you know, but again, if, you know, as crazy thing to say about a movie that few people liked, but if Bonfire had another hour in it, um, it, it, it and, and they'd known it could have another hour in it, then, and they still hadn't felt that compelling need to soften and make everybody likable, who the whole point is they're not supposed to be likable. Then, then it probably could have been done and it might have been done really well. But as it was with that screenplay and that desire to get in under two hours uh, and to make all these terrible people seem like, no, nah, they could be your neighbor. It's just a bad night, <laughs> you know, and uh, that's not uh, and you've just you I don't care about staying true to the book, but you've not you've you've 
you've lost your way with the, the whole reason that you make a movie like this. That's a really good point about the right stuff. It's a, it's an epic length movie because, right. but, and also it's about astronauts, <laughs> you know, it's not about, you know, rich guys who do a hit and run accident on a poor kid in the Bronx. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and it still <laughs> failed. Yeah. A lot of times movies, and I know you talked about now you can watch the movie through the, through the lens of uh, Julie's book and, and obviously through the, through the podcast and you can get a different, a different feel. And I'm sure people can do that now. But a lot of times people watch bad movies and it gives people, I don't know, a different perspective over the years watching those bad movies. And it almost over time, I don't know if it becomes good, but it certainly has a different life. And I don't know that that is Bonfire of the Vanities, though. I think it is. I mean, Ben, ben may have a different feeling about it. But for me, the thing about Bonfire is I think it's, weirdly fun to watch. I mean, a lot of stuff happens. It looks great. I mean, I've watched a lot of movies on TCM that I think, oh my God, this movie is like bonkers, you know, like just old movies that just have these crazy plots, you know, what was it, you know, and that are completely inappropriate in some way, but they're fun to watch for whatever reason, either because they have Cary Grant in them. And so who cares what the movie is, you know, but I think with Bonfire, it's funny. I mean, I've been looking at the reviews that people have been writing about the podcast, you know, and, and on Twitter, I mean, there are people who say, oh, I love this movie. It's so much fun. And I think especially for younger people who really, you know, unfortunately, there aren't a lot of serious movies in, in the movie movies these days. You know, it's Marvel Comics and all of this. So do I see a movie that's even trying to do something serious, even if it doesn't work? I think there's a kind of uh, interest in it. Uh, and I think I think you can look at Bumper that way. And the other thing is, I think it's interesting to look at in the, you know, if you're looking at Brian De Palma's whole body of work, you know, he made a lot of studio movies and he made a lot of Brian De Palma movies. And it's really kind of interesting to look at the different quality of those movies. Sometimes the studio movies worked really well, like The Untouchables was a hit and, you know, really came together. So I think you can watch it with sort of that kind of pleasure, because I think you're going to it with a different expectation you know, back when the movie came out in 1990, the drum beats were going like, oh, Bonfire of the Vanities, the Tom Wolf book, the big thing, you know, and, pe- and it comes out and it's got this very impressive opening shot of the gargoyle jutting out from the Chrysler building. And you think, oh, wow, this is going to be an epic movie. And then when it isn't, you feel like, oh, you get mad in a way. But now you're watching it on TV and you're thinking, oh, 30 years later, this is sort of bizarre and interesting yeah i guess it's been like what camp campy yeah yeah it's yeah. a little it's a little campy and and some of those reasons are why i don't i don't i are julie expressed some of the reasons why i feel differently about it but for the same reason like but they uh yes expectation has so much to do with it but the reason why bonfire is fun to watch to me now is because i know the backstory 
right? I mean, it's because of Julie's work. That's why Bonfire's fun now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but it's all Julie. <laughs> She's the most important person involved in Bonfire. At this point. <laughs> um, but uh, of course, what makes it interesting is that you get uh, this really talented uh, American auteur, Brian De Palma, and these really talented cast members, and it doesn't work, right? That's that's what is interesting about it. I don't think it's fun. I find it annoying. And I, and I, because it's trying to have something important to say about race and class and it fails, it doesn't say it. And therefore I knowing, you know, how important it is to me that, that there be, you know, uh, you know, I want, it's why I didn't like, um, I didn't like Trumbo. And that's another movie made by talented people with an enormously talented leading man, brilliant, LeBron Cranston, right? But I know that that was the like one shot that major Hollywood was going to give to doing a blacklist movie and it wasn't good. And it was, and therefore it's ruined. Right. And so here is this, again, it's soft, it's soft pedal, these crucially important issues, which would be great for us to talk about. And the, and the most influential propaganda machine in the world and propaganda is not always a bad word, right? But the most, uh, 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 the biggest, baddest, coolest, most effective propaganda machine in all the world messaging machine is Hollywood. When they do it right, man, they change how we view things, right? They change everything, right? And they didn't. And they, they sort of gave people an excuse to roll their eyes at woke culture, even if we didn't call it that then. And so I don't know. I can't, I don't, I don't. <laughs> I don't have the same cheery opinions, but because of Julie's work, I like seeing it because you can see the result of all these well-meaning decisions that ended up going wrong. Right. But then I would say one thing that complicated, Brian, you're talking about the, the, the essential message or whatever bonfire of the vanities, but don't forget Tom Wolf's book was a satire and it's funny. I mean, it's, it treats these issues. I mean, I think that was another of the essential problems of doing this book was that it wasn't like this was a serious, I mean, it was serious, but it was told in a very uh, satirical way. Oh yeah. But like Tom Wolf cackling in the background. And I think that was something else that the filmmakers never really figured out how to do. And that's why I, I do fault the screenwriter because they never figured out how to catch the comic aspect of it. I'm totally with you. I, I didn't, and I, I, I probably wasn't clear. It doesn't have to be heavy in delivering that message. In fact, the great thing about the book is that it didn't deliver. I mean, there are a couple of moments where you feel the weight of something important, but it's the book is fun. Right. And, and the book is not, the book is not, I don't, I, the book is clever and smart and funny and witty. Um, I don't think a book's campy. Uh, you know, the book gets you, the book has these larger than life, ridiculous New York figures, but those people exist and they walked among us uh, in, uh, in, in the 1980s. And I think the book captured that. So yeah, it also lost the humor. There were a lot of ways to get there and it, it just didn't. And, and, and it, uh, yeah. So I, I just, it, because it, I, even though it was fun, it did have something important to say and he said it so brilliantly and then it just didn't, it didn't say it. But I would say it probably does come back to casting because a lot of the choices that were made in the movie got shifted and softened and turned because I mean, Bruce Willis was probably the single biggest problem because he really, especially because he became the narrator of the story, 
if he if it had been a different actor, I mean, think about Michael Caine or somebody like that. The words would have been different. There were just everything would have been different because there were certain words that Bruce Willis just couldn't say that would sound plausible coming out of his mouth. And so I think that it becomes a circular thing. Was it the chicken or the egg, the casting or the script? But I think one thing, and that is ultimately partly what, you know, what I saw in the course of that year is how there are all these many, 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 many pieces to this puzzle. And you pull one out and boom, the whole thing it can be pulled down, but it's hard to figure out which one it is. Yeah, where it starts. Did this change anything, at least in the short term, for like how directors and studios went forward? No. <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> yes, I think it did for five minutes. You know, I mean, I remember after Bonfire came out, you know, it's funny, Bonfire got picked on the most for being the big budget film, the flop. But the truth is, Bruce Willis went from that to Hudson Hawk, which was even a bigger flop. And Havana that year flopped. And they were all. Oh, Havana crazy. sucked. I was so sad for Havana. Was right. So I yeah. mean, too. And yeah. those all had, you know, super talented cast and super yeah. big budgets. And so then I remember there were all these, I think I put it at the end of the book, all these memos were going out, you know, from all the studio. We have to cut back and we can't have big budget movies anymore. And we have to be this and we have to be that. And it lasted about 12 seconds. And then <laughs> they went back to business as usual. It's very hard in a business where that much money is at stake in every movie to understand the value of uh, of sample size, right? I mean, uh, Bonfire, Hudson Hawk, and Havana, there really isn't an overall lesson to take there. I mean, you can make sort of big budget, smart, funny, clever movies just because three in a row failed. But, you know, try telling that to the next person who's got to put $77 million up right for the next one and they just right. it's really hard for us to our you know uh, hollywood has always been driven by a, a recency bias right like what just <laughs> happened is is the most influential is often uh, overly influential that's true in life but it's certainly true when there's that much money at stake right is this recognized as tom hanks's uh, biggest flop no no, no. No, I think for Tom Hanks, you know, he just went on. That was the interesting thing. I was just finishing up episode, writing episode seven, you know, what happened to everybody. You know, it was interesting because Bruce Willis, Tom Hanks, obviously Morgan Freeman, this didn't hurt their careers one bit. Nope. Not, yeah. And and not even Brian De Palma. I mean, he did another big studio picture, Mission Impossible, which I think did pretty well at the box office. <laughs> Tom Cruise. Um, everybody survived, everybody picked themselves up and went on. But I think that, um, I think for De Palma to this day, this is very painful to him. And I'm sure a big part of that has to do with my book because it's like, oh, you didn't just make this big movie that everybody dumped all over. Now a year later comes out this book where everybody can dump on it all over again. And that does not make me feel good, you know, because it's sort of like this book that I feel so proud of and that wouldn't have happened without him and which he was always and to this day has been very supportive of and complimentary about also is like opening up like, oh, let me tear the scab off this wound one more time. It does not make me feel good. If if people want to know what kind of person Brian De Palma is, um, 
listened to Julie talk about De Palma and how he has treated her in light of this and tell me how many big time directors you think would have shown her the same class and respect and dignity that he has throughout this process. I, uh, I, I don't know him, but I, I, I really, really, really like Brian De Palma. He's clearly, uh, he's just full of decency, clearly. Yeah, and it's funny because the you know nothing about the book or the podcast soft pedals Brian. It just shows Brian as he is in in his glory and in his crankiness, you know. <laughs> and and I I really admire him for that. Man, I'm looking at. I was trying to find like another Tom Hanks flop, and they're obviously you know early some, on. Some early. didn't make well. Some didn't make money, but man. I like a lot of Tom Hanks movies. <laughs> that's what, as you look through the list, you're like, you're like, you're like, like oh, that's good. Are you like, oh, I like that. That was funny. Yeah. Oh, that's very good. You know, I don't know. Tom Hanks is super, make, yeah. He is super likable yeah, and he's super yeah. talented. I yep. mean, you know, he is, if he weren't so talented and likable, you'd have to hate him. Totally. No, it's just, it's like, there is, there's a, there's a total, I mean, there's Jimmy Stewart, Gary Cooper. That's what these guys were. They were talented and they were likable and you just sort of, like try to root against him. It's hard. And, you know, maybe Hanks by at, at during bonfire hadn't fully established that it was going to be really hard to dislike him. And so I'm really curious to see this, uh, the Elvis movie, whatever it's uh, called, the untitled Elvis Presley project work is that, you know, are, as, as, is Colonel Parker going to, I'm by the way. So, you know, Colonel Parker is like a caricature of a, a bad manager who's in it only for himself and doesn't care about his client. And, I guarantee you that I don't know about whether Hanks is going to soften Colonel Parker, but he's going to humanize him, right? You're going to see a person there yeah. uh, because that's what Tom Hanks does. So I'm incredibly interested to, uh, to see that movie mostly because I want to see Hanks in a character that I know we're not supposed to like. Yeah. He, he seems to play a string now of, of the real life characters, right? I mean, with Hanks. From Mr. Rogers. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, sure. One after another. Those uh, that's his genre. How many episodes is the plot thickens this uh, this series? Seven, seven right? Ep- seven episodes, and I think there's going to be a bonus. A bonus. Episode. There's going to be a bonus episode. So right? I guess eight. <laughs> yeah. Eight episodes. But we're supposed yeah. to be like, no, seven and a bonus episode. But you can't. <laughs> it's like when you uh, when I came out to LA, they still do it, and they will sign you to a contract to do a show or whatever, and I, they they make you sign these deals before you get the job. So I was like, I got contracts for a couple of shows that then ultimately either they didn't go or they hired somebody else like they they signed the three top candidates to this deal and it's always described as a you know you do one season plus six and i'm like <laughs> so seven and then they're like yeah that's right I'm like, well why, why don't why don't we just say that right nope it's one plus six yeah yeah that's why there was yeah. that big hesitation when you asked that question it's like i don't know yeah, yeah it's uh it's seven plus one but uh so uh anyway it's all uh uh, and it's good. It's good. Uh, uh, you know, it's start to finish. It's, uh, it's good. When's the last season, uh, the last episode, the non bonus last episode is, uh, uh, available August 10th. I find it very exciting and interesting, whether you're a movie fan, whether you like the movie or don't, whether you read the book or you didn't. I, I like it. I think it's more entertaining than the movie itself, which is, I mean, I think that's the whole point. Oh, well, that's a low bar. <laughs> Yeah, but yes, uh, it is. Uh, no, it's it, no, it's the best book about movies uh, I've ever read. It's great, and it's a, and it's a book about business. You know, it's it, it is, uh, it, it's a book about smart people coming together with a good idea, and they're all into it, and they all want to make something great, and they didn't, and that's incredibly interesting. 
to me. And I will say one funny thing about the podcast, because I think one of the things that makes the podcast really good are the tapes. So I have all my taped interviews. But the funny thing is, when I signed the deal with TCM, I didn't know I had the tapes. They didn't know I had the tapes. So that, to me, I keep thinking, what if I hadn't found those tapes? (laughs) I don't think it would have been nearly as good. Or or, or if you... Uh, or how much more money could you have gotten out of us if you told us you had the tapes too? Well, right? I've, I've thought about that too, Ben. Scott. Oh, have you? Have you? Did that occur to you? <laughs> oh, that's weird. Always fun to chat about movies with two experts. Thanks to Ben and Julie. And remember, you can listen to them on TCM's podcast, The Plot Thickens, The Devil's Candy is the current season, for a full behind the scenes at the making of The Bonfire of the Vanities. And it might give you some perspective for the next or first time you watch it. If you have any comments, questions, episode suggestions, email me, herenowthenewsjb at gmail.com, or find me on Twitter at Jerry Barmash. Feel free to subscribe for the latest podcast. We're back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening to Here Now the News.